Okay. Right, the, I'm going to make a statement because I know it's the truth. The world is not millions of years old. Forget all the carbon dating. It's about seven or 8,000 years old and God's in control. And we start here with this diagram, which I have got on a, an acetate and I have also got copies of it. So don't desperately start trying to write it down if you, you know, think I must get all this. What I find is interesting is where we are right now. You'll see where Mary is, is the church age. Look, you see the birth of the church at Pentecost. And the next event on God's calendar is the rapture or the catching away of the church. Um, he will take us out of the way because like he took Noah out of the way before the flood and he took um, Lot and Abraham out of the way before he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the way he works. We're at the moment in a period of extreme grace before judgment. And the grace is getting thicker and heavier all the time, particularly on his people, the church, because we're a rebellious lot, really. That's another story. Um, so the time is short, and anybody who's been to the recent um, conferences will know that I was majoring on the fact that time is the only commodity that we've got. Money is not a commodity. Money is what Satan drives you with. Time is the only commodity you have. So going back to this, we have creation and then the fall of man, and it all went downhill from there. Grace before universal judgment. Roger Price does a whole set of tapes on this. Then there's the call of Abraham, or Abraham at the time. Okay, it's about right. Um, the Exodus, I did this once, didn't I, Joyce, at the Wesley Center? <laughs> I got Moses and Abraham round the wrong way. I got it all the way round the wall and someone came and said, that's in the wrong place. Oh, never mind, eh? Then, then we have, because of their persistent hardness of heart, the Jews were taken into captivity, which we'll see in a minute. Uh, and it's, it's, it's called the fifth cycle of discipline, which we may or may not get round to, which they are in, but they're coming back from that cycle of discipline because he's going to bring them at the end of the day into their own land where he will judge them. People think the Jews are coming back and isn't it lovely? Yeah, they're coming back because he's going to do business with them on his own territory. But that's something else. So then we have the birth and the death of Jesus and the Gospels. You're right there, girls. And the Pentecost and the Church of Scriptures are all there and you are here, as I've said. We're in a, in a most exciting time. Um, Holy Spirit, to an extent, goes up. Probably his role changes and becomes like it was in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit comes upon people rather than indwells them. Um, not too sure about that, but I'd have to do some more examination of it. Then you get the resumption of Israel's history and there'll be seven weeks seven years of weeks, what's called Daniel's 70th week, trips a lot of people up that one. It is quite confusing, but it's the way the Hebrews actually um, calculate. Um, and then, of course, we come back with our new bodies, walking through walls, uh, and we rule and reign with Christ. So, you see, it's very important what you do with your time here right now, because you're training for reigning girls. This is what this is about, training for reigning. The choices that you make now will govern how much God will give you authority in the, the uh, new heaven and new earth, seven, second advent. So while they're having their resumption of Israel's history, we're having the bride's uh, wedding breakfast up there.
And then we come back at the end of the, th and Satan is bound, so no one can say, um, oh, Satan made me do it, because he's out of the way. He can't do a thing. Um, he leads an insurrection at the end of the thousand years, and most people follow him, sadly. Not us, because we're already done and dusted. Uh, and then we go into the great white throne judgment, which I have to say, no believer will stand before. There is a great deal of teaching, when I stand before the great white throne, you will not. That's the judgment of unbelievers. Believers will stand before the beamer seat of Christ, which is rewards. It's where when they finish the marathon, they used to go and they get a wreath on their head and a scroll to say they'd run it. And, you know, a hole in the wall or something. <laughs> Roger Price says, I don't know what that's all about. Um, but that's all you... It's the believer's works. So it's essential that people like me get you to walk in the works that God prepared for you beforehand so that you might get the reward on that day. God's all about rewards. And then it's new heaven and new earth. We don't get told an awful lot about that because we don't need to know. Eternal bliss. So that's an overview. Thank you very much, girls. If we could fold it up, please. Thank you. That's called a whistle-stop tour of the Bible. Now, I have got copies of this. They're sort of... Um, that's it. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Could you just pop that one up, dear, so that, I can, that they can see what it look like? Thank you. Look at this. We've got acetates. It's my new toy. So there it is, sort of scrunched up. You've got the same information, all the histories, all the uh, um, scripture verses, and there's uh, uh, the you are here. So it's all there, it's just that it's split into sort of like three lines. So there's copies of these, I'll put them on here and you can help yourselves. If you find at the end of the day there was a handout that you didn't get, just let us know and I'll make sure there's some more because I hadn't got a clue how many copies to do. So that's that one. So you've all got that, haven't you? That's it. We're all okay now from Genesis to Revelation. All right. Uh, I said about the passing the bat on the first one, didn't I? So I got that. Okay. Um, probably that one now. That one, I think. I think at the end of the uh, notes on the last meeting, being a good teacher, I'm going back over what we did before, you see. This was what we ended up with, the original created order. Uh, God and, and the angels, including Satan, with man underneath and then the animals under him. After Jesus came in his humanity and rose again, it was God, Christ the man, and the angels, including Satan, the man underneath. But after you're born again, you're positionally, as you can see, higher than Adam was when he was created. You are in Christ Jesus, so you've got God, the man Christ Jesus, head of the church, the believers, the body, angels and Satan, unbelievers and animals. So the order has changed. Satan tries to keep you thinking that you're actually under him as you were first go off. That's why he had access to Adam in the garden. Could whisper in his ear. Good to give him a flea in it. 
So that's that, and it's on the tail end of the notes over there. Can I have that one now? Thank you. I didn't realise I was going to get looked after like this. <gasps> and these are something we went through last time, the things that, that, that never change. Again, I've got some uh, copies of this somewhere. Um, I've lost... Hmm? Yeah, I'm just going to go through it. Um, but I've got some copies of it somewhere. They're here somewhere. I'll find them in a minute. Here we are. Look, look, lots of them. Um, the character of God never changes. The condition of mankind never changes since the Garden of Eden when he sinned. Adam, our condition hasn't changed. We're all born in sin. The angelic conflict is still the same and will be until he's locked up. We just saw that there during the thousand-year reign and rule of Jesus on the earth. The means of salvation never changes. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Being, I'll say, in leadership, you have to be ahead of the flock so that you can lead. And I'm learning from somebody else, of course, because that's how you do, don't you? And the guy that I'm learning from is just going into the Hebrew in uh, Genesis. And... Uh, the first two letters of the Hebrew alphabet are the Aleph and the Beth, which is like A and B. But because it reads from the right to the left, the Aleph is so positioned and it's got three parts to it, a Yod and two Vavs or something like that. It's a crossbar and two little tickets. But the Beth is shaped like a, a roof, a wall and a floor. And it nestles against the Aleph, which is a silent letter. Jesus, everything was created through him. That side of the Beth is open. So Jesus is in the bosom of the Father, represented by the Aleph. Here's what the Father wants to do. He speaks it forth and the rest of it flows out from there. It's absolutely beautiful. It's like God has pictorially put in the alphabet, in the Hebrew alphabet, the way he did it. And then if you start, because they use their, their alphabet to count, it's fresh bread this is. I haven't got the hang of it really myself, but I think it excites me so much that if you start counting the numerical value of the Aleph and the Beth, you come to the Aleph each time. And when Jesus, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God said, I am who I am. What he actually said was, tell them, Adonai, Messiah, Yeshua sent you. At that point, that was what he, isn't I am what I am? That's not a name. Tell them, the Saviour sent you. See, in our translations, we lose so much. Like I was, I think it was, I was going into it before, you know, the, the names of God how we lose what God is actually saying. And it's like he's just unveiling all this stuff. And it is so exciting because it just, I know that it's right. I, I, I said to the Lord, I don't know about this. You know, I've got to test everything. The, Job says, uh, the ear tests words as the mouth tastes meat. And in these days, you have to test with your ears what's being said. You have to, you mustn't look at just what you see, you know. You've got to have a look at what fruit is in someone's life. Get up underneath and get a bit close and see what the fruit's like. Not just the gift. Get blinded by the gift. Um, where was I going? 
I left. There, yeah, there we are. I've lost it. It's all right, isn't it? <coughs> anyway, there we are. I'm looking at the alphabet with David and this, and it's very exciting. I mean, he's told me all sorts of little snippets. Like, here we go, we're off already. When they put the tabernacle up in the wilderness and the tribes parked themselves all round it, you know it parked in the, ro in the shape of a cross. But the tribe through which they had to come in order to get access into the tabernacle was Judah. It's all there. It's sort of hidden. And you know where he says, uh, I didn't know I was going here. We won't get any of this done. Doesn't matter, does it? You know where he says that you, thou shalt not seethe a kid in its mother's milk. And you think, what's that all about? The reason they weren't to do that was it was a Canaanite morning ritual. That's why they weren't to do it. It wasn't anything to do with the food itself. But if they did that, they were copying what the Canaanites did. I mean, there you go. Those are free. So the means of salvation never changes, and that's through Jesus Christ. I mean, he is incredible. Human responsibility. Every person who has or will have lived on this earth will one day give an account. That's, we will give an account for how we spent our T-I-M-E and how they've used their life for God or against him. Human destiny is the same. People have either gone to be with the Lord or to a place of torment, waiting the day of judgment. We don't like that. What the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. And after that, awaiting them is the lake of fire, because now is the time when we choose. Again, there is um, that, if you want those. Just And I've brought a whole punch, aren't I kind? So if any of you have got ring binders that you want to put these things into, you punch your holes in there. But I didn't punch the holes in case you didn't want them punched in it, because I'm a bit fussy like that. If I don't want the holes punched, I don't want holes in my paper. So <laughs> <laughs> ah, I like it. Okay, thank you. Um, can we have a little look at the map here? Because I love, I love maps. I wanted this one in colour. Anybody had a difficulty getting here? No? We've had our share. Um, what I wanted to draw your attention to when we get to it is I love maps because I like to see where it's all happening and if you see the first little arrow on the right hand side here that's Ur, that's where Ur, Ur that's it that's where Abraham was called out of when he met the Lord and you can see Babylon there which I think is modern day Iraq which was the seat of uh, uh, all the beginnings of the problems as we will see in a minute and he traversed right the way over the back there, beyond the air, along the, the Euphrates, and down to this side here, till he finally up, ended up round Jerusalem Way, which was the area, the, the um, land of Canaan. And you see a few ites there. Look, there's the Hittites up there, and the Amorites. You hear a lot about the ites, don't we, one way and another? That's it. And Haran up there was where um, Abraham's father um, died. There's Nineveh over there, where. Uh, Jonah went and of course there's Babylon where the, the Jews were taken into captivity um, and I think f even further over that way is, is where Daniel and his uh, friends were taken to can't remember the name of the place at the minute but I like maps so there's a map for you okay I'm going to ask um, 
tells us to put this up, but I'm not going to actually run through this in this order. But and the, again, there's a copy of these here if you want them. What I've done is because Telsa suggested bullet points, and you can use this if you don't want to take notes to just run yourself through what I'm going to say. As I say, I may not go in the exact order as I've done it here. I had some great fun with this. Um, Broadly, I will be covering. I could almost go from there. Again, there's those there. Let me know if there aren't enough. And that's page two of that one. On the second page, on the back end of that, I've put the, I've put the prophetic books as well. So you get where everything fits in. The prophets before the exile were Amos, Hosea. Uh, to Nineveh were Jonah, Nahum. To Eden was Obadiah. To Judah were Joel, Isaiah. Micah, Sephaniah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and Lamentations. To the Jews in Babylon were Daniel and Ezekiel. And the prophets after the exile to the returning remnant were Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. It sets it in to a context for you to be able to understand what was going on. Because we do have to remember that the Bible is Jewish from start to finish. And because we come at it with a Western mindset, we get things all skew-if, you know? Um. You can put that one there if you like, dear, yeah. Mm. Can go through it, go, leave me notes altogether. I said to the Lord, I said, I don't know, I can't guarantee I'll stick to my notes because I um, just don't know which way I'll go. Um, is there anybody here who thinks they can lose their salvation? Now, be honest, because I want to see if you think you can. No? You're all secure. That's good. But if you should think you can, there's a sheet here proving you can't. <laughs> you cannot undo what God has done. I get a bit hot around the collar because um, I know there are denominations that keep the, chi the children and the sheep in fear um, because they think um, that they can lose their salvation. So they do something wrong and they think, I'm out, I'm saved today and lost tomorrow. I mean, it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Sin is dealt with. We're walking in favor and grace. Anyway, here we are. As I said, I want to excite you about the Word of God. And my aim this morning is to actually take you from Genesis to Revelation. Um, and I want to show you that I couldn't do that without seeing that it was Jewish and without seeing Satan's attempts all the way through to kill off the Messiah. Right the way through, he's there. And we have got another little acetate that I'll put up in a minute, which will... Uh, I've got copies of some. Somewhere. That one. That one. I should have I should have some copies of those somewhere. Maybe, maybe not, don't know. Um, anyway, I'll start. So this actually is titled God Has a Dream. And it's a people for himself. From Genesis to Revelation, the plan of God unfolded is for him to have a people for himself. And we start in Genesis 1, 26 to 31. And we end in the book of Revelation, where there we all are. 
Genesis is the seedbed of the Bible and try as I will, I cannot get out of it to explain what happens further on because it's all in there. Um, it all started there and it's the root of the seed, where the seed went and the tree has grown off of that and there's no way of going any other way. And while I'm talking about roots and trees and seeds, um, next session in uh, March 24th will be about the New Age. Um, I felt moved to start doing some study about alternative medicines and therapies and things like that that Christians get really involved in. Um, and when I started to look at that, I found I couldn't look at that without looking at the whole of the New Age movement and where that fitted in. Uh, and so the next one will be a bit meaty. It might make your hair stand on end, but there we are. Um, we have to know the truth because Jesus said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Uh, and, and I'm going to make sure that if I have to take the top of your head off and shove it in, you won't be with <laughs> without knowledge. Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I've given every green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. You notice there that all he had to eat then was herbs and seeds. And you'll notice when we get to Noah that, thank you, uh, that uh, it, the, the, the menu changes. Uh, you probably knew that anyway. So we can trace uh, many ideas through the Bible, and this particular one is of God's desire for us to be his, carries through in his choosing of Abraham to be the father of the nation from whom would come his beloved Hebrew race, who he would lead out from captivity by Moses. Let my people go that they might worship me to the tabernacle where God met with Moses over the mercy seat. On and on, you can see this. God wants to live with us, man the dwelling place of God. So he made a people for himself. We went through this before. He forms Adam from clay, and as I think I questioned, dust and spit, like he did with the man that was blind. He did exactly the same thing. Made some clay on his eyes. When you think about it, the Creator's doing just exactly what he did in the first place. So he's made this people for himself. And King Solomon says in 2 Chronicles 6.18, Will God in very deed dwell with man? That's the King James. I'm using the new King James Version, so it might not tie up with yours. And in, in Psalm 17.15, David looks forward to being with God forever. He says, I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. 
God's after our hearts. Ezekiel 37, 27, my dwelling place will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people and the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So he made a people for himself. And the purpose for creating man was that he might have dominion. He was to be ruler over the earth, God's official, appointed representative, exercising divine authority over all creation. Some job. So we looked at it, image and likeness. The Hebrew word salem, I didn't spell it properly in the first set of notes, I don't think. It's a silent T, T-S-A-L-E-M. Um, and it means shadow. In modern Hebrew, it's the, it's the name for having your photograph taken. And it's specifically an outward physical outline. So man in his actual outward form projects the image of God. That's why we need to honour one another, because we're all made in the image, image of God. And that's why self-rejection is just a lie of the enemy. Because uh, you're rejecting what God made. We went to Carroty Wood, didn't we? And the girls there with low self-esteem is just incredible. Drop dead gorgeous, you know. And there they are saying that... Oh. Anyway, there we are. So Revelation 22 is a restatement of God's original plan. We will be with him face to face. And the tree of life, and we looked at it last time, is there. And Eden's there all over again. So it has to finish where it started. And we looked at the progressive revelation of God through the Bible culminating in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we saw God's eternal plan to have a people for himself. So we've seen all that. And we also saw the first of the falls of Satan. Um, and we looked at those. It's all in the notes over there. We'll do perhaps a more deeper study of that maybe if we get the chance. I have actually had to book four more sessions of this for, for September, October, November and December. So God's got something up his celestial sleeve. So geographically, the Bible is set in the land of Israel and historically its theme is the people of Israel. And if we thought that the church was replacement Israel, we, it certainly is not. As I've said, there's an awful lot of dossy stuff out there um, about you know dominion, theology, the church is going to bring in the kingdom and then Jesus is going to come back. The church is replacement Israel. Uh, there's t two or three raptures, one at the beginning, one in the middle and one at the end. If you haven't made it, you know, you're going to get a little bit more fire, make you straighten yourself up a bit. I mean, full of love and grace, all of it. Um, we have to preach the whole counsel of God. He hasn't changed the way he deals with us. Um, we had some situations cropping up this week and I don't actually like being in leadership very much because you find yourself involved in all sorts of sticky situations. And I found myself praying this morning, Lord, I want to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with my God. I mean, because all the while you're going through these things, he's testing your reactions and your heart to how, you, how you're going through these things. I don't get angry very often, and I, and I didn't. But I did notice this morning I was in Exodus that, I, that Moses got mad, dropped the tablets when he came down off the mount. I noticed that, and it was his anger at the end of the day that caused him not to go into the promised land. And I also noticed that Aaron didn't actually keep the rabble in order. He'd let them do things, and I thought. 
It's all about this authority structure that God's put in the in the, in place in the church, and the and the abuses that we see in the church. Really, you know, and what good godly authority is, because godly authority should be looking for the best for the flock, and godly authority comes from the underneath and lifts the flock up, because that is what we're about. I had a lady come to me the other day. Bless her heart, she's not here, is she? Any? No. Well, I won't say that, in case she hears me to see this. But it's not about what you do in the church. And if you have a position in the church, it's, it, it's not leadership, it's servanthood. Because <laughs> you go from sonship to servanthood to friendship to slavery. Anybody else want to join me? I'm on my way to slavery. You know? That is the way it goes with God. The way up is down. But because we've got so much secular thinking in the church, we're all aiming to get up the top there where we can lord it a bit. Over. It says don't lord it over the flock. We have, we're, people like myself have got two things to answer for. One is my own walk and one is how I deal with the guys, you know. And I won't wrap you in cotton wool if I feel you need to know something because faithful are the wounds of a friend. I'll, I'll fight for you, I'll tell you that. I'll, I'll find that I'm like a tigress. When anybody gets near my lambs, I'm up there. So anyway, that's but quite by the way, isn't it? So I do want to emphasise that none of these studies are in depth. Am I running over my time? Uh, so we'll skim the surface just to engage your interest and whet your appetite for the Word of God. And I don't want to go on too long. I want to give you a break. You know, I don't want you to um, get bored with it and get stiff bottoms. But there's nothing more dangerous than an undetected foe and an unlocated foe. And we must face the fact that the devastation we see around us has been masterminded by a malevolent enemy who hates mankind with a passion and is determined to take as many of mankind as he can to the lake of fire with him. Sentence has been passed on him, but it's just suspended at the moment. But we saw from the acetate that actually we are in a higher position and I think the Lord wants us to come into that place where we walk in what Jesus died to give us. That we know what it means to be walking in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There was a prophecy when I went to uh, the last of the Graham Cook um, conferences at Pilgrim Hall that there, there was this, someone had a picture of a man in, in lots of uh, smoke and uh, um, trouble and he was eyeballing the enemy and he's, like, he's keeping his eye on him you know like this because he's watching his enemy seeing what he's doing yeah. and all of a sudden he's disappeared he's up in the heavenlies and the enemy's going where's he gone lost the run of him where'd he go where'd he go so the enemy's now looking for him lost him and what God was saying to him was that I'm braiding together uh, the worshippers the prophetic and the intercessors. And the intercessors will change into worshippers. The prophetic will change into intercessors. There'll be a braiding together of these three because it's always the worshippers, the intercessors and the prophetic that lead you into something new of the Lord. Look, he's doing something. 
You know, they're pointing all the time to what God is doing next. Um, and he said what he was saying was that the place that Satan vacated when he was cast out of heaven, the church is going to fill. I thought, yes. Thank you. Brilliant. Have some of that. God loves a good fight. Did you know that? He loves it. I mean, Graham tells some stories about fights. Brilliant. Not appropriate now. But we're all in a warfare. And whatever is surrounding your, your situation right now, you need to know that it's tailor-made for you, that God is in control, that nothing can come at you except he allows it. He's like a sieve. He won't let it come through unless it's going to be there for a purpose. So if we're a bit wise, we say, okay, pay nights... What's this all about? Don't ask why, it won't get answered in this life. What does this mean? Why am I going through this? No, not why am I going through this. What's the purpose of this? How do I position myself? Where are you trying to take me? Because he's always trying to take you from one place to another. I've gone off onto something else. Sorry about that. No, I'm not. He's always trying to take you from one place to another. And the circumstances and situations that are around your life are there tailor-made to help you onto the next level in God. But most of the time, we go round and round it, and we think, I recognize the signpost. I've been here before. My mother used to make us laugh. When she was a kid, they used to go on a train, very rarely, and there'd be this sign outside the window that said, whistle. And she said, we've been there before. <laughs> you know, you get the family jokes, don't you? So, many believers talk as though there's a global battle for supremacy between God and Satan. And I'm here to tell you, there is no fight. He's a created being, there is no contest. And he can do nothing without God's permission. You've only got to look at Job and you see that. Where have you been? Oh, walking up and down, having a look at my territory. See what's happening there. Who gets Job into all the trouble? Have you considered my servant Job? cartload of trouble comes down on Job. God can't spell, you know. He spells it with a T, trouble. That's patience, he spells it with a T. So he's a created being and he can do nothing without God's permission. The battle is for the souls of men. And don't think that battle stops when you're born again. It hots up. Everything will suddenly seem much more exciting than it did before. He's got one leg, Jesus has got the other, and you're like doing the splits. Half of my job with a new Christian is to keep them in the kingdom of light because the kingdom of darkness has got the other leg, you know, and <laughs> pulling them back over. We shall be doing body, soul, and spirit, probably. Um, our spirit, soul, and body, get it round the right way. Uh, the one after, the one after, the one after, the, no, this. Because there's a lot there, and we need to know uh, who's doing what to whom? People say to me, what do you mean who's doing what to whom? Well, I want to know if this is God. I want to know if it's the enemy. And I want to know who's doing what to me at the moment, you know? I mean, we've had some Lulus, Joyce Knight. Brilliant. I got up this morning and my, it, my ears were like someone was trying to make me go deaf and I just rejoiced. I oh, brilliant. We're going to have a good time today. Yabba-dabba-doo. 
Thank you. When I came last time to the last one, some of you will remember I could hardly stand up because at that time I was being afflicted by a giddiness and it would nearly take me off my feet and when I came in here to teach the first time I could hardly stand and I was holding on to this thing because it was just whooshing me around all over the place. I'd wake up in the night and sit up and everything would go round. I'd turn over in bed and I wouldn't be able to... It was just a go to go to the loo and I'd be hanging on because I'd be frightened I'd land, land up somewhere. Um, and I prayed about it and, and I knew that it was enemy activity. And someone said, well, why are you going to have it checked out? I said, it's no good having a spiritual problem checked out. It's spiritual, it's not physical. At the same time, I had something gnawing at my left knee. Do you remember you saw these little things biting it? I've had to walk that out. We have to do that sometimes. Sometimes it's no good saying, Lord, please heal me. It's not, that's not the issue. The issue is, I am going to do it anyway. And look, I've got my boots on. This bride is wearing combat boots. She'd just as soon kick you as kiss you, I tell you. And that doesn't mean you, it means him. And I'm not being, um, what's the old-fashioned word, vainglorious about it. I'm not being uh, triumphalistic. But I've had enough of the nonsense. I've seen it in other people's lives, and, and I'm not standing for it. And this is what God wants to do in us. You know, there is a battle, because every time you go to another level, you meet a bigger devil, but you have to beat the devil on the level that you're on. So you want to go back down to the other level because you got him there. You find that someone's taken the ladder away <laughs> and you're stuck up there. And all you can see is the kneecaps of the thing that's in front of you, you know, like this. And as Graham said, when you got to the top of his head, you look 18 inches above and you see Jesus going. You want to see him do that, it's priceless. So Jesus says to him then, now look, now look down. And he looked down and he met the eyes of this demonic force and there was fear in the eyes of the demon. Yes, please. I don't know about you, but I've had enough of being kicked around like a football. Not going to have it and I'm not going to see people kicked around like that. That's why we need to know who's doing what to whom. Whether God's nailing something in our lives, if we're training for raining, whatever it is. But I'm coming through this thing, and that's my declared intention. So whether we like it or not, and mostly we don't, we're inevitably involved in this deadly war, and we cannot be neutral. Such a stance pleases the enemy and frustrates and hinders the purposes of God. We're sheep, we're the bride, but we're also an army, and each one of us is an, as a soldier on active service. Our names have OHMS behind them. Anybody remember that? In the wartime, on Her Majesty's or His Majesty's service. So if you ask if I've got letters behind my name, yes, it's OHMS. <laughs> and that's why we're urged to stand firm, gird up our loins, us up and be strong in the Lord. <laughs> Good job, there's no blokes here, isn't it? We concluded our last study with that order that I showed you. Do you know I haven't got over the introduction yet? Oh, poor souls. We are higher than Adam and the devil is under our feet. That said, we ended the last session with Adam fallen, 
paradise lost, Satan on the scene, and God in control. I'll finish there. Have a 10 minute break, please. Endeavour to do my little 40 minutes worth, and June will give me the cutthroat if I do too much. Uh, and I'm in aiming to finish at one and give you an hour for lunch, and then we come back prompt at two. I suspect I might not get through the six pages of notes that I've got here. Um, <laughs> I have to go over it again. Um, if I don't, to do a little bit this afternoon, if you can bear it. I mean, if you're finding that you're absolutely chocker and you don't want any more, then l let us know and we'll go with the majority vote. Because I know what it's like. You're trying to take in so much information or not, as the case may be. You might all know it. So, teaching me grandmother to suck eggs, as they used to say. I was ever so pleased to see everybody looking at this, all these bits and pieces here. Use them just like it. Someone asked me why they couldn't find a word in it. I have to say to you, they're all King James. So if you've got a modern version, you need to find out what the King James version is of it so that you can find your word in there. It's just like a dictionary, really. Um, I'm going to give you a word this afternoon to do a little bit if you want to play. That would be good by tables. And then I'm going to say, when you've done your investigation, choose one person to come up and tell us what you've found out. Be nice, wouldn't it? Like being at school. <laughs> okay. So we're in Act 2, Scene 1. And Act 2 finds mankind thrust from the garden in disgrace and Satan loose upon the earth to kill, steal, and destroy. But God has a dream of people for himself being approached from a westerly direction. I think I blew. Can't blow your nose with these things, you know. And having a drink is, and giving anybody a huggle, is completely impossible. <laughs> Never mind. So they're banned from the garden, and now the two are destined to die physically as well as spiritually, because the literal translation is, in dying you will die, because in dying spiritually they're going to die physically, and death comes in. So they're driven out from the garden, which is now guarded by two cherubim with flaming swords. So just hold that in your mind. Adam and Eve, no children yet, driven out of the garden. Here's the cherubim, flaming swords. They're within sight of it. So they know what they've done. They know what the penalty is. So any progeny they have are going to know what happened. They're not going to be without knowledge. They're going to know that God had to slay an animal and the blood fell on the ground. They were clothed uh, with the skin of the animal. Reminds you of someone, doesn't it? And uh, so they got all this in their mind. So can you put me the acetate of uh, Adam? Right, thank you. So I'll just run down this little acetate first. There was Adam and then of course, I think Cain was born first and then Abel. Um, no, but hang on a moment, I think I've got a little bit first. Um, Genesis 3, 14 and 15 here is the key to everything really. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field and on your belly shall you go and you shall eat dust, what are we made of? and all the days of your life, and I will put enmity, a war, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Notice the capital S for seed there. 
and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is the key to everything that happened there. So if Satan can make God a liar now, he won't have to go to the lake of fire. So we start with a curse on him in this Genesis 3, 14 and 15. And here is mentioned the seed that will bruise his head. As I said, he's judged and sentence is suspended until the seed comes on the scene. Now, if I were him, I think I'd be busy plotting to prevent that seed coming to pass. Because they're obviously, it's going to mean curtains for me. I'm finished if he appears. So I'm going to be on the lookout for anyone who looks like he's siding with God and I'm going to polish him off quick. I'm also going to provide a counterfeit seed to draw worship to myself. And along with that, I will satisfy man's religious need by creating as many different forms of religion as he can imagine with me at the back of it. So I get all the attention I can. I'll cover every base and use my power to provide a counterfeit to almost everything God does. I can't create, but I can copy. Man wants something to worship. I want worship. We've got a partnership. I will pollute and pervert everything God does. Ezekiel 28.12 says, You were perfect in wisdom and beauty before iniquity was found in you. He was the wisest of God's created beings. And he didn't lose that cunning, didn't lose that skill. So in Genesis 4.1, we find Adam and Eve, and the words are used that he knew his wife. You notice Jesus says that about us, doesn't he? Away from me, I never knew you. It's the relational thing, and this is a real close relationship because she ends up having Cain. And she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Whoopie-doopie-doo, this is it, it's okay. Trouble's over, here comes the seed, folks. She's saying this could be it, the promised seed, but she bears again, Abel. And Abel's name means breath, a transitory thing. Cain's name means to strike, lance, or spear. And even as Eve names them, it seems that their destinies are sealed. As incited by Satan, Cain rises up in a fit of jealous rage and slits Abel's throat. You want blood? Add this. That was what was behind his rebellion. Because it's, you remember in Hebrews, I think it is the blood of Abel cries from the ground. He spilt his blood on the ground. So he rises up in a fit of jealous rage and slits his throat. And behind his rebellion, it is, he's, against, he's rebelling against God. He's furious that his offering has not been acceptable, though Abel's was. And I meant to look this scripture up. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. So you get the clue of who was behind this. God's way of approaching himself is through blood. Cain's way was through the offering of his own hands. That's religion. Man trying to reach God by his own efforts. God fought Cain. He wouldn't do it God's way. God said this way or no way. Cain fought it, and he was bitterly jealous towards Abel. Generally speaking, there are two distinct camps in the world, those who will believe and those who will not, godly and ungodly. 
Another way of putting it is that there are two humanities. In Genesis 4 to 6, we learn that's a genealogy that God established a godly line of descendants through Seth. Can you uncover me, little thing in me, Pop? It's a godly line of descendants through Seth. Yeah, yeah. There's Adam, Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes. Out of that comes tribe of Judah, David, and Jesus. There you've got the whole, what God's plan dropping down. And through that line, there have been numerous attempts to stop Jesus coming through. We'll have a little look at them in a minute. It's quite interesting, the attempts that Satan made. First one, of course, was let's get rid of Abel. He's the first one. He's doing it God's way, could stop that, kill him. Seth's name means substitute. It was a substitute for the one that she lost. And we can trace, if we wanted to, an ungodly line through Cain. And there began at this stage even to be a remnant of the population who would be faithful to God. The majority sadly wouldn't. In Genesis 4, 16 to 24, you can do this later and it will be in the notes if you want it. You can trace the ungodly line of Cain. Followed by Seth's line in Genesis 5, 3 to 32. I know they're boring but sometimes they're very useful. At least two of Seth's descendants are recorded as having walked with God, Enoch, Enoch who was not, and Noah. And just to clear up a mistranslation in Genesis 4.26, where it says in my thingamabob, um, that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That is not correct. They did no such thing. The Hebrew reads, then to call on the name of the Lord became profane profane. Mm. It was a totally negative statement. The rebellion has started already. And, and if we don't recognize the rebellion in our own hearts when things don't go the way we want them to go. I know myself, I'm the, the first one that I blame is God to my shame when it doesn't come out the way I thought it should. We are desperately rebellious. We need to know ourselves, really, because this grace is there, but we do need to know what we're really like without the Holy Spirit and without the rebirth and without everything that is growing from that. So in Genesis 6, 5 to 8, now we're starting to whip through. The, as the population grew, so did the evil. Until, as we're told in Genesis 6, 5 to 8, the Lord looked down on the earth and saw almost uncontrolled wickedness. And God says we've got to put an end to them. So here we see the second example of grace before judgment. The first was the gospel in Genesis 3, verse 15, which is the promised seed. Now God says to Noah, preach for 120 years while you build the boat. Some people have said uh, that, uh, Genesis, uh, that Noah lived for 120 years, but if you look over a bit, he lived about 900 years. It was 120 years to build a boat. So the paradise with which the earth had begun vanished like a dream and man's moral descent was accelerating. The instrument which God chose to stem this tide of evil was a worldwide flood which we saw on our great long strip. 
and that saw the end of the Garden of Eden and changed the Earth's surface. And after that, the climate and landscape were immeasurably poorer. After the flood, Noah's got the same mandate as Adam, be fruitful and multiply. One of the things you'll see in chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 2, is that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. That's a teaching all in itself. That is from whence come the Anakim, the giants so-called of Genesis. These were fallen angels who came down and had sexual relationships because they can take on the body of a person. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard of incubus and succubus spirits. Some of you probably have if you're in ministry at all. They, are, they literally rape. Literally. And, and there's literally an offspring from those. They were still about after the flood because we know because of uh, Goliath and his brothers. Because David had enough stones in that little pouch for every one of his brothers, you know. He didn't have five stones in there in case he missed. He had five for the other four. <laughs> I like that. That's the way to walk, you know. One shot and I'm getting it. Then the next person, please. So now Genesis 9, 1 to 3. And we see that uh, the diet changes. And instead of just vegetation, meat is on the menu. But there is a prohibition. Verse 4 says, the blood should not be eaten. And I understand, I only learnt it the other day, that the Muslims eat their meat with blood in it. They do not bleed it. And that is a direct violation of God's command. This is not for the Jews, because they haven't been brought forth yet. This is a just, it's like Satan putting two fingers up, raising up a religion that will do absolutely the opposite of what God has said. It's, it's quite interesting. And here, in this country, we drain the blood. And the next verse shows us God's view on capital punishment. Of 5 and 6. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood will be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Capital punishment is God's idea. It's not something we like to look at, and we've abolished it in this country to our cost, and since we have, everything's gone wild. That and the Witchcraft Act, which was repealed in about 1957, has caused the, just the whole thing to go completely down the chute. But um, Britain will be saved by praying women. We need to get back to godly standards. He writes them because you can't, uh, service a Citroen with a fold manual. We need his manual for our service manual so that we can live in accordance with that and enjoy the abundant life because that's what he's promised us if we get our lives into line with what he said. I do not believe that our role in the earth is to start trying by force to get the government to change their mind. Our role is prayer to get things to get the arm of the Lord to move. He calls us to prayer so that he will do something. I had a situation over the last couple of days where I prayed something specific, quite daring, and God's done it. And I'm thinking, that's scary. I now know I prayed in line with the will of God. 
because I saw a situation I didn't like festering and I felt the only way of this is, is to do a little bit of removal. So I asked for the removal and it's happened. Um, and it's never, it's never tidy when God does anything. Don't ever think that God tidies things up. It's like a building site when he does things. There's blood and gore and limbs and bits, person parts all over the place. But it's fine. He's just building something. You don't want that bit. Sorry, it off right away. Give you another one. So, you know, he's good. He's good. He's good. So Genesis 9:18. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And all of us are descended from those. I think we're probably descended from Japheth, most of us. The Shem are the Semitic peoples. And one of these days I'll break it down for you. There's an awful lot in... Uh, the curse that Noah calls down in a minute, and I can't go there today, but there is a tremendous amount in that curse. Here comes another hot potato. Uh, 21 and 22 is Noah, began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard, and in the fullness of time he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. That's a Hebrew idiom for he had some sexual relationship with someone. That is, that is what that means. That is not saying he just lost his blanket and showed himself. It means something ungodly went on. And Noah's two other sons, Ham and Japheth, are mentioned in Genesis 9, and particularly an offspring of Ham's named Canaan. Now, any of you know the Old Testament, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and all the otherites, came from Canaan and he was not uh, very tasty and been a thorn in Israel's side all the time wasn't he so having made his wine he's enjoying the results and as a result of this uncovering it's so devastating that he curses Ham's son Canaan so this is not something simple but he blesses Shem. And Shem is the one through whom Abraham will come. But the context of this passage, as I said, suggests that a gross sexual sin was committed between Canaan and, whilst, and Noah while Noah was drunk. It was probably initiated by Canaan. And when Noah woke up from his drink, knew what had happened to him, he cursed Canaan and he called it down on him. And he actually says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. And then he said, Blessed be the God of Shem. May Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And he, d he lived 950 years and he died. I did a little study of how long they, they lived a long time. So again, Noah's sons would have known all about the garden. They were all toddling about together because Methuselah, who died just before the flood, his name means you probably all know this. When I die, it'll happen. So when he died, the flood came because they named them they had a real meaning to their names. So Genesis 10 gives us the generations of Noah's sons. Uh, and Ham, Shem and Japheth, as I said, we're all descended from them. 
Then Genesis 11, the corruption which entered mankind at the fall, though slower than before, relentlessly continues and it can only be a matter of time before God intervenes again. This time by the confusion of language. And in Genesis 11 we find the Tower of Babel. Mankind was all of the same speech at this time. And Roger Price does a hoot of a thing on the, ta on the tape of the Tower of Babel. They're all building this tower, you know, which is in rebellion to God to start with because they're saying we're not going to get that water coming again. We're going to build ourselves somewhere right enough where we can get out of the way of it. He says that one of them says to him, pass the trowel and the other says, huh? You know, suddenly they can't understand one another. <laughs> so he's looking around for someone that speaks the same language as he does. <laughs> because God's confused the language and that's what Babel means. So God intervenes. And he had said, multiply and scatter. And they said, no, nope, we'll do it our way. Rebellion again. So in verse 5 he comes down. And in verse 7 confuses the language. And the result is that they scatter as they were told to. So Genesis 11.10 shows us Shem, one of Noah's sons. We've got him down there. And the family tree of Shem leading to Abraham. And then in Genesis 12.1 we see the call of Abraham. And God's promise to make of him a nation. He calls him, where we saw our map before, from Ur of the Chaldees, or Babylonia, present day Iraq. And this was an idolatrous city whose chief deity was the moon god Sin, who was supreme. So already, we've got these things set up. The city was wholly given over to the worship of the moon god cult, which of course included shrine prostitution and all sorts of things like that. Because wherever Satan is at work, there is perversion and filth and uh, prostitution and ugh, it's horrible. So his plan for alternative worship is coming fully into play. Abraham probably knew from Shem the one true God, even though he dwelt in the midst of these people because he came from the godly line of Shem. So it's likely that it was passed on by word of mouth. You know, everything that had happened in the garden, the flood, they would have passed it on. Ur was a very civilized city. And the ruins were fully excavated by Sir Leonard Woolley in 1922. And by 1934, the long-lost and buried city of Ur had become one of the best-known sites in all the ancient Near East. So God promises to make of Abraham, Abraham a great nation and makes an unconditional covenant with him. That means it's all down to God to fulfill. Sons, wealth, fame. So he calls Abraham... Abraham and his nephew Lot out. So a separation is taking place. This splits the human race and sets him apart. In the same way as when you became a believer, God separated you out. We're not meant to be like them. We live and amongst them, but we are not meant to be like them. And increasingly God is saying, come out from among them and be ye separate. Because it is our separateness that is going to show. It's not our being like them that is going to win them. Because what we give them then is a soft gospel. 
and they come in on a soft gospel. Someone like me comes along, starts trying to disciple them and take them on the narrow way. They've been told they can have all this in heaven too. You've got a real problem on your hands. It's not that God is closing the door to eternity on these people, but it's time that we started actually explaining you have a need. And this is why. So here he comes, separating out Abraham uh, to make a nation of him so that the rest of the world would see how to live because he's going to give them rules to live by and everything should be fine. Except that it's made up of people like the church. <laughs> We're just the same. We never can point the hand, a finger at Israel because we have made just as many mistakes as, as they have. I understand that Chris Larkin, Graham Cook's number one in this country, is writing a book. And I'm told that part of the theme of it is the 40 years that the charismatic movement has been wandering about in the wilderness. We tend to... St we're not pioneers, we're settlers. We, we get something, we stick a stick in, and we, we, we just camp there. Pentecost, the, the Wesleyan revival did the same thing. Methodism, done it like this. You get the Pentecostals, done it like this. Charismatic movement comes in, won't speak to the Pentecostals. Pentecostals won't speak to the Charismatics. Do it like this. Each time, as Bob Mumford said, I'm sure God's grace is going to keep on trying until he gets us to it the right way. And I'm sure he's absolutely right. Please, Lord, will you do it in my lifetime? Graham is holding a conference in America and it's called Permission Granted to do church differently. <laughs> I'm up for it. And he's written a book with someone else. I've only read a little bit of it and I thought, this is the new thing you're doing. No, don't prophesy. I just felt, I'm thinking, shall I or shan't I? In five years, I think you're not going to recognize the church in this country. Because if the leaders of the church hear what God is doing, they're going to tip things out, upside down. It's not about the building you go to on Sunday. It's about people. And we have made an idol out of the place we go to on a Sunday. We go there, we do our bit. And as Bob Mumford says, it's the dirty six. I've told you about that before. I've known the dirty six. Oh, this was a tape set for men only. Better put your fingers in your ears then. So I, I thought I'd like that set of tapes, Lord, but I don't know that I think I'd like to know what the dirty six are. I don't want to know what men get up to. And um, I try to shelter myself as much as possible from the nasty bits of life. And um, no, get it. So sort of almost under a pseudonym I sent for these <laughs> tapes. <laughs> I thought it says for men only. <coughs> Be more. They won't know whether I'm a missus or a mister. So I got them and, and I, they're standing there. They're like pulsating because I'm thinking I don't want to. I really don't know whether I should. God, go and listen. I thought like that. So eventually I plug myself in and he sort of starts off by saying, okay, it's all male audience. You want to know what Dirty Six is, don't you? And they're all sitting there quiet. And he said, dirty six is you go to church on Sunday and you put your face on. And dirty six is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. <laughs> it's the other six days of the week where they do just as they like. And I thought, oh, that's all right. Then. I don't remember what the rest of them were about because I had got myself into such a state about not listening to this and polluting my mind and defiling my spirit. That, um, but 
36. So we go and we put our face on, as Joyce Mayer says, into the parking lot. You've just had a row with your husband. Hello, praise the Lord. <laughs> and someone goes into the parking space you wanted. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Bless them, Father. That was my space. You know, and then you get in and how are you? Yeah, we're fine. You wait till I get him home. I'm going to tell him a thing or two. She is so funny. She's so real, isn't she? And then you're out of church and you're <laughs> arguing again. Oh, absolutely priceless. She puts her finger right on it. Can't get away from it. So it's the dirty six. We don't want that anymore, do we? I don't want to, to go through motions and movements and hijinks on a Sunday uh, and not know my brothers and sisters. God's calling us to be in, a, in like a, a group where we live together, laugh together, play together, support one another, and, and understand and see the bad bits. June was with us overnight last night. She got a few. And I said to her, <laughs> you'll see. You've just got to stay overnight to find out what it's really like. <laughs> Normal. Oh. Too much of the other stuff. God's real. Jesus is very real. Very, very real. He's not super spiritual. He doesn't float around on a... On a cloud somewhere playing his harp or whatever and the, what's so beautiful is he's real about the states we get ourselves into and he does not condemn us I think I probably told you about the girlie who um, got herself pregnant and we were having a breakfast up at the Wesley Centre here and she, she was a Christian dad was a Christian and we're just going to sit down for a prayer meeting she got up to go out can't stand that so Jesus said to me, go over and tell her what, not to run away. Don't tell her not to run away. Tell her not to run away. So I went over and I said, he's saying, don't run away. He's not condemning you. Come to him with it. You know, unforgivable sin. I've committed it for the 72nd time this week. Need to know what it is, so you know you can't commit it. So... Abraham, we find him a bit normal too, don't we? Genesis 12, 10 to 16, the first thing we find is he's lying to Pharaoh about who Sarai is. And in Genesis 21 and 2, he does the same thing with Abimelech. And the results in both cases was plagues on the person that he let Sarai go into. Because she could have had children by either Pharaoh or Abimelech if he'd laid with her because of Abraham's deceit, but God had another plan, and Satan's ruse failed there. Um, can I have that one up now? Because we're beginning to see now. I haven't, for some obscure reason, taken a photocopies, photocopies of this. If you want it, I will do it. Um, this is the, uh, the way that um, Satan's attempts on the left-hand side, and God's um, straightening out of the thing on the right hand side I had enormous difficulty getting my photocopying done I wanted a, a coloured copy of the map it jammed up in the machine I wanted back to back copies everything jammed up he said I don't understand I thought I'm praying like mad here because I know why the, the enemy don't want this out so we've seen the spread of evil and now we're seeing Abraham lying to Pharaoh and Abimelech about Sarah but God warns them both, saying, touch her and you're a dead man. 
So we're beginning to see his attempts now. He, he's figured out that the one that he killed wasn't the one, so there must be someone else. So he's on the lookout now, isn't he? And now God's called this special nation, got to be coming from here. Uh, so the history um, of Abraham's family uh, is, is re revealed that his descendants weren't so godly because in Genesis 13, 9, um, Lot who when he and Abraham separated because their herds were so great, he'd taken what looked like the most fertile area and settled in Sodom. Because he took a look with his natural eye and he thought, I'm a, that's, but that's the best bit, I like that bit. But Abraham, being the spiritual man, said, you choose, I'll have the others. You know? He let God choose for him. So the result is that Lot is just about as close as he can get without falling over the top. He's in amongst, well, you all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Genesis 13:13 13, 13 says that the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. I'll leave you to draw your own conclusions about what they were doing. And I, the Lord, changed not. And he loves the sinner, but he does not love the sin. And he still feels the same about homosexual activity now as he did then. But it is a very, very common thing. Um, I mean, if we ever get to look at... Um, the history of the way the people went on in Greece and that, it was most common for a mentor to have a boy with whom he had sexual relations. He was bringing him along, mentoring him, and that part of it was that. And in fact, it was normal. So we're degenerating to the point where we're going backwards all the time, and again, we're allowing it. Um, God loves the sinner, but not the sin. Um, so there's there. Genesis 14, 18, Abraham goes on and meets a very interesting character, Melchizedek. And he refers to God as El Elyon. My own personal feeling is that this is a Christophany or a Theophany or whatever you call it. It's God's Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. You're familiar with that, are you? The times that he appeared in the Old Testament. Right, we might do something. Sorry? Melchizedek, that's the man, yes. Um, without beginning, without end, without genealogy. Interesting statement. He brings bread and he brings wine. Interesting thing to do. Uh, and Abraham gives him a tenth. And he refers to God as El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth. Very interesting. This Melchizedek knows who God is. Um, anyway, we may have a look at Melchizedek. And, and again, uh, if you haven't, if you have had no teaching about giants, uh, Christophanies, which are appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament, the one I love the most is when he appears to Joshua. And Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And he says, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord's host. <laughs> he does not come to take sides. He comes to take over. Brilliant. Genesis 15, and we see God prophesying of over Abraham's descendants and their captivity, that, but that they will come out with great possessions. Genesis 15:14, that is. In Genesis 17:5, Abraham's name is changed to Abraham. I forget the reason of why the age is important, but it means like multiplication. 
Genesis 17.10 and the rite of circumcision is instituted. Remember that Moses forgot about that. And Zipporah says, a bridegroom of blood you are to me indeed, because God met Moses in the way and was about to kill him. She gets out the knife and circumcises her little boy. I mean, I'm thinking, who told her, you know? <laughs> when God says do something, he sort of means it. So Genesis 18:17 and Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw what was going on there. And here we have the cycle. We've got Abraham called into sonship. He establishes who he is. Servanthood, friendship. Abraham was a friend of God, so he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? It's a Christophany, because he comes along with two angels. And we see the classic conversation between God and Abraham. If there are 50, he barters with him. We'll hear Graham Cook on this. 50 righteous, no, I won't, I won't bring judgment for 50. 40, no, I'm on a roll. 30, well, gets down to 10. If you can find 10, I won't bring judgment. But of course he can't find 10. Even as a job, that the, 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 the son-in-laws won't come in, will they either? Uh, so not even ten righteous can be found and God brings judgment. But there has been the grace before judgment. So in Genesis 19, 1 to 29, we see God's grace before judgment as he calls Lot and his family to flee before he brings judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. You'll know that the angels hasten Lot and his wife and two daughters out of the place before raining brimstone on it, but Lot's wife looked. I'll end on this bit. Subsequently, their father having fled to the caves, the girls get their father drunk and become pregnant by him, and Moab and Ammon are the result. One after the other, they go into their father and he gets them pregnant. Uh, so we'll just stop there for the moment. Have some lunch. Enjoy your lunch. I bet I'm just on time.